More than half of high-growth companies struggle with the sales development process. If you want your sales team to have more at-bats with decision-makers at target accounts, talk to Inside Sales Team, the sales development team experts at InsideSalesTeam.com. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm David Delaney, your host, and very honored to have another David on the show. We got to stick together, man. David. Pri That's right. <laughs> David. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. David Fever is the VP of Sales at Influitive. David, thank you so much for making the time today to be on the Sales Development Podcast. Hey, my pleasure, David. Yeah, we got to stick together. There's, there's not too many of us. <laughs> right? I know. I know. I know. You can't like swing a cat without hitting a David. But uh, you know, <laughs> we're all special in our own way. And, I'll tell you a yeah. funny David story. So my first startup. So I joined very early on. But when we were 24 people, we had seven Davids. <laughs> Because <laughs> we had to, we had to develop all these clever systems for kind of identifying which person we were talking about. But it's, uh, you know, maybe I don't feel so bad actually about uh, about our numbers. We're not, we're not close to being uh, in the endangered species column so so far. That's right. I bet if you looked at like a graph of of births that David, you know, had a huge spike in like the seventies and eighties and maybe kind of into the nineties, <laughs> right. and then and then and then it went to Austin. There was right. like, there's like hundreds <laughs> of Austins in sort of the two thousands, but. Anyways, enough about this. Folks that are on the show, they are leading sales development teams. They're sales development reps. They're they're executives who are, you know, trying to push the practice forward. And you know, I've been a big fan. I want to go into some of your writing and the content and make sure that everyone knows about it. But first of all, tell us about yourself and how you became VP of Sales and your path to now being over at Influitive. Yeah, I mean, look, I've I've been in sales for about twenty years now, but uh, all in uh, enterprise software, all in B two B. But I actually started my career as a research scientist. I kind of say I'm a I'm a scientist turned a tech entrepreneur. Started my career out, did an undergraduate degree in uh, science, did some graduate work in engineering, and this was kind of around the time of the dot com boom, where kind of everyone was getting into technology. And so uh, through a, a kind of random series of events, I ended up being hired at a small startup as a sales engineer and then kind of worked my way up. That company was a, an awesome ride. We went public three years into the business, got acquired seven years later, and it really kind of ignited my, my fire for the sales and startup world. But it was really interesting kind of being a, a scientist by education. You know, science is always a, a systems that are governed by rules and laws. And as a kid, I was always one of these, these kids that loved to take the vacuum cleaner apart to kind of figure out how it worked. Like, how does this thing work? Like, why does this happen? And what I learned, though, is that getting into sales, sales was very much like that. It's very much a system. You know, there are reasons why people buy things and reasons why they don't. And there's messages that resonate and messages that don't. And there are stereotypes that people have of salespeople and they behave in a certain way can almost consistently when the stereotypes get triggered. And so mm. I started to kind of almost see the world of, of sales like, a, like, like the matrix. Like it was like this, this science experience that has all these kind of levers and knobs, but it was with the added uh, I guess either complexity or uh, or, or just intricacy of, of human behavior, and so uh, for me, you know, I was able to kind of harmonize those two worlds and fell in love with sales, and had been there ever since. I've spent most of my career across uh, four different startups, 
Uh, the, fir the fourth one I'm at now, the third one, uh, the, the first three have all been acquired. Uh, the third one, which we uh, helped start in 2008, was acquired by Salesforce in 2012. And I spent five amazing years at Salesforce uh, after that, working with some pretty incredible people and really getting to see how sales machines uh, were made and, and run at scale which is really amazing. So I've really valued the experience of being able to harmonize my science background with my startup background, with my big company background, and bring it all together here uh, at Influitive uh, as my fourth venture. Man, what a ride. I, I didn't even realize that. That is amazing. Can I work for you? I just want to come along. <laughs> You've got the Midas touch, man. Oh, I don't know. That's amazing. You know what? Yeah. Is, is, as many you know, people in, in the entrepreneurial world will, will tell you, the path to success is never clear, right? And even mm -hmm. from not even just company to company, year to year, as salespeople, we're always familiar with you know the, the sinking feeling when we see our quotas for the first time. And we're thinking, how the heck are we going to get there from here? There's no way. These guys are out of their mind and yet you know our job is to, to plot a, a path right to find a course find a way and learn a ton as we go uh, so that we iterate and i love to learn and so for me sales and kind of what we get to do in the startup world which i'm very grateful for is almost you know it's almost like a, a passion pursuit you know every time i i learn something new uh, even if, you know, whether it's through success or failure um, you know, I, I feel I almost feel like that Keanu Reeves in, in the Matrix where you're like, oh, I know Kung Fu now. And all of a sudden I, I have this I have this new skill that I'm excited about. So it's uh, path to success is never clear. And if you know, especially in sales, if sales was so easy, we would just hire high school students minimum wage to do this job, uh, you know, instead of, uh, you know, incentivizing very smart people with highly lucrative comp plans to, to get the job done. <laughs> right. Exactly. That is so interesting because there's so much there. One is. It seems that, you know, sales is a experimentation process and having a science and engineering background, I think, lends to running sales teams and, and optimizing those. But I think sales attracts a lot of folks who were, you know, like me, anthropology majors or liberal arts majors who just want to go out and talk to people and go to conferences and, you know, interact with people all day. And so... That's really interesting to me that you bring in that scientific, you know, rigor to running your teams. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely a, a harmonization of, of science. I mean, certainly there's the, the data component to it. But, you know, I've learned a lot in the last little while. I mean, obviously, in the last 20 years about the human side of it. You know, the, the end of the day, it's people that get the job done. And so, you know, the question is, how do we get the most out of our people? How do we coach them? to success? How do we identify what their kind of, you know, rate limiting behaviors are and help them succeed? And, you know, ultimately in leadership, and this is something I, you know, I, uh, I believe, but picked up to a great extent at Salesforce is how do we become the leaders that people would fight to work with again? And if we can do that in our career, we can help them. If we can be the ones they want to fight for again, if we can help them understand what their behaviors are, you know, how they interact with customers, how to get better and improve that overall sales machine, then uh, we're going to be in awesome shape. So it's uh, it, it's interesting as, a, as an old school science guy to kind of layer in that human element. But the human element has been definitely the most both interesting and gratifying over my career, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's the thing. Unfortunately, we've got all these people involved, you know, who are icky and squishy and you know, emotional. They're bringing all this stuff. And, and you know, we, we haven't quite like completely gone over to AI robots that can do sales, right? And so that's what, that's what we have to deal Not with. Yet. We're getting there. 
Right. Well, as long as, you know, whenever, as we're selling to people, we're selling to people, we're selling to pe people like us, right? Yeah. And, you know, whenever you're dealing with people, there's a, there's a human element. It's, it's interesting. You know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get into this, but, you know, so much of selling has to come down to emotion. And when I think about the future of selling and the, the, the kind of the top things, there's a talk I gave and the, the top three things that sellers of the future need to master. One of those things is feelings. You know, we've all been in in those situations where you know we're in a negotiation, and whether it's let's say at home or for you know we're trying to buy a car or we're trying to sell a piece of software, and for whatever reason the negotiation of this very expensive thing comes down to a very small and seemingly insignificant item that no one wants to budge on, right? And it's this idea that no, no, it's it's there's there's a lot of emotions, there's feelings at play, there's you know that that emotional intelligence, there's satisfaction, there's happiness. There's value, and and all of those emotional needs need to be satisfied in order for us to to successfully do business. And you know, I don't know if the AI is at that point yet, but you know, until it is, the the, the nuance of human interaction needs to be uh, handled by uh, you know salespeople. Yeah, and that's why you know some salespeople who are very empathetic and you know tuned in to the the emotions of the other person are so successful, you know, because they can kind of change their approach based on, you know, what's happening in the moment. And then the other part of emotional control that I think of when I when I'm talking to you is the emotional control a salesperson has over themselves, you know, like that emotional maturity to to do the things that might be hard, like pick up the phone and make another call or to do, you know, make that call that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, having that emotional maturity in yourself as well, right? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's the resilience, it's the conviction, yeah. it's the ability to kind of pick yourself up. And you're totally right. The, the idea of emotional intelligence is, is both identifying the emotions as they happen and be able to intercept and respond to them and use them to your advantage appropriately in both yourself and other people. And there's that, that duality. The, the good news is, is that you can learn how to do that. It's not something that's you know fixed from birth, like they say IQ is. You can actually learn how to do these things, and the, these are actually things that you can uh, test for and interview for. I wrote an article uh, a little while back called "The Top Ten Questions to Assess Emotional Intelligence in Sales" that uh, people seem to like. Just fun little questions you can ask people in the interview process that uh, you know can help them uh, can help you understand how emotionally uh, intelligent they are. Not necessarily to include or exclude them, although we, we definitely want folks that are uh, are highly emotionally intelligent. The all the data says that those folks actually end up doing better and being high performers in all elements of of life and business but to help identify where those gaps might be in your candidates so you can help them along in their journey and coach them. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a few things there. One is that a lot of sales leadership goes by gut feelings and what worked perhaps for them in the past because a lot of sales leadership, they were great salespeople and, and, and they, they started closing huge deals and then somebody made them a manager and then somebody made them a VP and now all of a sudden they're in charge of all these people and systems but they're still operating from a gut perspective. And, and what you're saying is, okay, some of those gut things that you, you've seen work in the past may be right, but you also have to layer on the data and the research, right, behind where you, you, know, where you came up with, you have an hypothesis, you tested it, and it went forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that part of the challenge with these kinds of models is that uh, people tend to, when they rely on their experience, tend to fall in love 
with certain tactics. And this is actually, you know, you see this in the in the sales development realm. You see it in the, you know, in the in the the direct sellers realm, where I have a tactic and it works. And because it worked a few times, I just spam the heck out of that tactic, you know, for years to come, thinking that it's all going to work. And we, I'm sure we've we've all seen these in our sales career. But but sales evolves and people change, and that the things that used to work don't anymore. And so I feel like when we coach people, uh, sometimes we rely on those little tactics. The other thing that's a bit of a challenge is that you know when we hire new sales reps, we we do a good job of training them. We give them functional technical training. Sometimes we sell them on the we train them on the soft skills. But oftentimes we don't spend that same amount of time training new managers, and especially in high-growth companies where you're, you know, you're always moving people up and promoting them, we often don't take the time. In fact, statistically, I think that the stat is new managers get a third the training of the, their direct reports. And so mm. we tend to, unfortunately, rely on a lot of the things that we kind of learn over time to kind of carry forward. We don't often stop to think, is this stuff, is this stuff still, still working? Is it resonating? Yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot there. I I put together a sales development manager training program, you know, for new sales development managers who they were sales development reps or BDRs, you know, a couple months ago, did a great job. Now they're a manager and they're going, "I don't know what I'm supposed to do." Like the executives are asking me for 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 data and reports. The sales development reps have a lot of issues. And I'm just kind of stuck in the middle. What am I supposed to do? So I was like, let's let's do a training. And you're right. I, I've seen that over and over. They people don't they think about the individual contributor and they put some money toward the training. But what about the middle manager who is very high leverage, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, they say the number one reason why people leave a job is poor relationship with their manager. I, I do believe there is uh, there's some truth to that. And the cost of a failed manager is extremely high. It's typically 4x that of one of their direct reports. But on I I you know those are scary stats. But on the flip side, I actually look at it as a as a on a flip side. If we have great leaders, then the value that we can get out of them and their teams is astronomical, right? So hiring managers, making sure they are set up for success, especially in the in the sales development world is really really important because the complexion of the the folks that are a part of the an SDR team are typically different, right, than that of the direct selling team. Yeah, exactly. It's a completely different subject matter and and uh, different goals and things like that. And not to get too far down a tangent, but in your time at Salesforce, when I think about Salesforce, it's a training and development machine. You know, they they've probably got like a whole university of people who are in charge of training people. And did you see, you know, training being applied to the middle management and sales development managers that they could actually get some training? They do. They do. I think across the board, every organization needs more. You know, mm-hmm. there is not enough training that need that happens at the manager level. It, you know, it's it's uh, either the case at big companies like a Salesforce, uh, although they do a fantastic job, as well as high growth companies. You know, and and I do lump Salesforce in with those high growth companies. The the difference is at a, at a let's say a small hundred person startup, you're not going to have a big enablement function and training function like you will at a Salesforce. But mm-hmm. uh, definitely, there's been you know with advances in you know, technology and online courses and video and distribution, there's definitely been more horsepower applied to to solving those problems uh, at uh, at big companies as well. But I'd say it's still a need, man. Like there's there's not enough uh, as far as even some of these. You know, the, I can I can teach you how to do like a forecast call, 
and things to look for, uh, you know, on the numbers and how to identify outliers. But what about the softer stuff? What about the coaching? What about the career development? What about the things that are going to, as I say, like unlock the discretionary effort that most people tend to have but don't tap into? Like if you were to ask people, say, you know, David, on a scale of one to 10, how hard are you trying at work? Mm. Are you going all out every day? And, and typically people are not. I mean, they may be putting a lot of effort and hours, but how much of their dis- that kind of discretionary reserve are they putting in? And you know, whatever the answer they say, and they say, okay, well, I'm, uh, no one's going to say 10. I might be a 7, I might be an 8, maybe a 9. But So what's holding you back? Like, How do I get that extra two or three points? And a lot mm-hmm. of times, it's, it's the leadership. You know, When you go into high-performing teams and great companies, and you say, like, why do you do this? And they're like, man, I would run through a brick wall for my manager. They're, just, they're so amazing. They care about me personally. And to the extent that people are getting feedback and feel like they're growing and leadership has their back, that's the way you unlock it. Yeah. Inside Sales Team fully integrates with clients. CEO of Discover Org, Henry Shuck, partnered with us, and we've generated over $25 million in new business revenue. They are firing on every best practice for running a sales development team. Learn more at InsideSalesTeam.com. That's amazing. And that's the, and, and not to toot my own horn, but you got to, right? I mean, but <laughs> that's why I made the, the training class. And I thought, I figured, you know, I did it in San Francisco and... There's probably a hundred sales development new managers within a, you know, a swinging distance of where I put it on, and and you know I I got like six or eight people that showed up, which is okay, you know, but I figured you know there'd be more of a need, and and I I don't know, I guess people just didn't hear about it or something like that, but you know it, it it's such a high I I I'm totally on the same page. I think middle management is so high leverage, and if you're a good middle manager, and people will go through brick walls for you. Your team is going to be awesome. You're going to do really well, but you got to have some kind of framework. You know, you can't just go off of YouTube videos and stuff like that. So yeah, I I think we're definitely on the same page. I want to ask you, David, uh, about your, your blog post. This is, this is something that's been on the top of mind. I've got about a thousand people on my email list and I sent this out and I, I literally said, guys, this is probably the most important blog post that I've read all year about sales development, and I read them all, I like literally. And so if you guys haven't read this, it's it's on the Salesforce quotable blog, and it's, it's uh, it says, salespeople, here's why prospects ignore your outreach, okay? So I was like, oh my God, okay, here we go. And, um, and so if you wouldn't mind, let me just read this a little bit. So as a sales leader at a B2B technology company, I'm simultaneously a promoter and target of prospecting outreach. So David, you know, he's involved in it and he's getting it. And you, are, you, you go on to say you were at the Saster conference and a guy named David Skok, I believe, another David. David Skok. David yep. Skok, who if you guys haven't checked out, he's an amazing guy. He asked a simple question to an audience of entrepreneurs and senior executives. Who here uses BDRs as part of their lead gen outreach uh, strategy? 75% raise their hand. He goes, oh, yes, we love our BDRs. And everyone kind of chuckles. Then he says, let me ask you this. Who likes getting prospected by other people's BDRs? Crickets. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that I've seen over and over again. I was sitting with a CRO once going, he was berating me for making the sales development reps make more calls, the old school, 
mentality. And then going, I never answer my phone if somebody calls. And I, I think, let's talk about this. So I think you touched on it before in that we're using the same old techniques that are just spent. And and it also creates sort of a robotic SDR who's just like doing the same thing over and over again for diminishing returns. So tell me tell me more about this this problem that you identified. Yeah, you know it's it's tough. There was a panel that I sat on on data. It was called Data Driven Sales Management with a, a lot of other great leaders. And this question of you know is there a correlation between activity? Because we tell people to just keep making calls, keep making calls, and good things will happen. And is there a correlation between activity and and output? And in a way, I wanted to say no, because it depends who you're calling, what time of day, what you're saying on the phone. Uh, but when I looked at the data, and that was the benefit that I had working at Salesforce. So I managed seven different teams there at once. And so I had tons of data across three different geographies. So I had all sorts of different data points, uh, you know, correlating activity with output. And I actually did find across like 11,000 different phone calls that there was actually a correlation between the number of calls made and, and pipe generated. So in a way, it was like, okay, picking up the phone and, and hustling and maybe picking up the phone as a, as a proxy for hustling. There is some correlation there. At the same time, you know, kind of when you look at the more senior sales reps, right, they're not out there making a million calls, right? They're working smart. The challenge with working smart, especially in the sales development world where people aren't in that role, like as a sales rep, I could be a sales rep for, you know, 50 years. No one's in a sales development role for that long. And so the kind of the, the ability for them to kind of develop the, the acumen to not make as many phone calls and still be productive is very hard. So I don't fault sales leaders when they tell sales development reps, hey, just, you know, or, or even sales reps, make a lot of calls because the more calls you make, the more you hustle, the better off you're going to do. I saw the data that supports that. But I think we're still, we're entering the world where you need to be smart. And exactly what you said, you know, people, executives say, well, I don't even answer my phone. Here's the secret about me. I don't have a phone. I have a cell, I, like I have a cell phone. I mean, at Salesforce, I had a desk phone, which which I never answered, right? Because it's always you know recruiters and people trying to sell you stuff. I don't. I only have a cell phone. I do not have a desk phone. It is very hard to get in touch with me. So, a person who's trying to you know get in touch with Primer here, like you're not going to get you know you're not going to get me on the phone. And I also found that a lot of the techniques that people did use, even when you do get someone on the phone, you're kind of you're working through a script. You're kind of calling at the same time every day. You know, it, it, it sounds the same as everyone else, and it is low value. And so what I found was that that behavior started translating into, like, emails, right? And so how many times you get an email from a, a, an SDR, it says the same thing. Hey, Dave, I'm from company ABC, and I want to reach out because we work with companies just like yours to solve these pains that you're probably familiar with, and we help increase productivity and reduce sales cycle time and boost engagement and all the things that everyone says. You know, hey, do you have 15 minutes? Hmm. Right? And, and so, so, you know, while I'm a big fan of hustle, and the data shows the more hustle you have, the better, I'm all for work and smart. And I feel like, you know, when it comes to BDR outreach, uh, we haven't armed the, the, you know, the next generation of BDRs and SDRs with the right kind of tools and wherewithal to kind of to crack through the defenses. And so what I found was I was the subject of all of this, you know, outreach, which was just horrible and I was not responding. And I said, oh, my gosh, you know, in a way I felt bad. I felt bad for all these you know, sales development reps reaching out because, you know, they're just doing their job. They're just, you know, in many cases doing what they're told and they're they're given a playbook and asked to run with it. 
And so I said, man, like, I wish I could help them. I wish, I wish I could, you know, send them something that was, you know, maybe, you know, lovingly, you know, some loving coaching, but also, you know, don't call me, but here's some coaching to kind of explain why uh, I wasn't responding. And Mm. I couldn't find the article. So I wrote it uh, myself and it actually ended up being so big that it got, it got busted into two parts. But this first part on on why people ignore your outreach was something I've actually sent to a bunch of, of, of SDRs who have You've reached out to me since then. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Okay. So, and you touched on this, but you break it into three. So number one is you don't have my attention. You Number two, you sound the same as everybody else. And number three, you haven't sold me on the value of the next step. So, and, and in the article you go through, your attention is completely dominated by the million things that are going on in your life, right? When you wake up in the morning, for example. That's absolutely right. You know, there's there's a million different messages we get bombarded with. You know, most of us, you know, when I've given these talks and I said, you know, who here in the audience sleeps with their phone, <laughs> uh, you know, char- sitting on their nightstand somewhere within reaching distance, you know, of, of uh, when they when they get up and everyone raises their hands. And then I say, OK, well, how long does it take you from the time you wake up in the morning, your eyes open to the time that you pick up that phone? And people are like, it's 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 10 seconds, like it's, it's very, very fast. And when we wake up, there's, you know, even though we've checked the phone the night before, because we, you know, we just right there on the nightstand, we come and there's like a million emails and texts and things that de- demand our attention, Never mind the things that are going on in our personal lives and at home. And so when you, you know, think that you are bringing something of value and you have this amazingly worded email that's like highly personal and, and, and it's so great, you know, before I even... Think about reading that. You have to break through all of the defenses of all the other things I have going on in my life. And so I, I kind of call it this idea of inertia, which is actually one of the things that uh, when I think about the sellers of the future, this is one of the, we talked about feelings was you know number three, actually. Inertia is number one. How do you get me to stop and pay attention? Because there is so much need to focus on and do. I immediately discount, you know, anything that I'm getting from a, you know, a BDR or a vendor, because that's kind of what they're, they're paid to do. And so how do you first get someone's attention? That's the key. Okay. So you need to get their attention because the attention split across a million things. It's, it's even more and more. Okay. And then they all sound the same. You kind of went into that because everyone's using the same tools to do the outreach and they put in the, the very formatted template and then blast it out to you. And then you haven't sold me on the value of the next step. Tell me about that. What's how do you wh- what do you mean by, you know, inching you forward in the process? Yeah, I mean, so so most calls to action in sales development outreach end with a you know, hey, do you have fifteen minutes or do you have ten minutes? Yeah, you know, and we and we all know most of those call. I mean, I've heard lots of people say. What value are you going to get in ten minutes? Like, there, there's nothing that you know. We're not going to be doing some any kind of discovery. You're just going to get kind of a maybe a, a slightly deeper pitch of something I've already given you over email. And and my time is really really valuable. And it, like most people, I'm scheduled you know unfortunately back to back most days. So to start giving people ten fifteen minutes here, especially people who all sound the same, is very very hard. And so I need mm. to be really clear on what the value of this next step is like, am I going to learn something? Are you going to share something that I didn't know about my business? Like if someone, for example, someone said, Hey, you know, I have this great solution and I sound the same as everyone else and we can help you improve efficiency and reduce cycle times and improve accuracy and all these kinds of things. You're just saying the same thing as everyone else. So I'm, I'm unlikely to, 
distinguish the value that you're providing versus mm -hmm. if you didn't sound the same as everyone else and you said something like, hey, you know, David, I, don't hang up. I, I know you probably get a million calls like this every day, but I've actually spoken to 10 people at your company about some of the challenges you've been having. And uh, if you have 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'd love to share some of the things I've learned about your organization with you. Maybe you know these things, maybe you don't. Uh, I'm also happy to share the things I've learned about other similar organizations. And then, you know, if you find what I have to say interesting and you feel it's valuable, then we can schedule uh, some additional time. But it's a, it's kind of a low cost, low uh, low low uh, low risk proposition for you. And the, mm -hmm. so the idea is, and that's just an example. But the idea is like, bring me something of value. Help me understand why. I should invest this 10 and 15 minutes and what I'm going to leave with at the end. I think most, most of us in the sales world appreciate the concept of value, but we don't practice it when it comes to this kind of outreach. Right. I, I think it takes, it takes a system, you know, that encourages that the management, again, the middle manager, you know, mm -hmm. uh, putting a system together, it takes creativity. It's not, you know, being a zombie and kind of walking through your day, just like oh, I'm going to send a million emails and, read this script and make calls. You actually have to be engaged and it takes research as well, right? Because you have to do that pre-research to be able to add value to the prospect's day and you know get them to get out of that inertia. The other thing, so now I'm going over to, we identified the problem, we talked about, and everybody who listens to the call knows the problem very intimately right now. Now we're how to get the prospects to actually pay attention. And I like what you said. This is another blog post. It says, rethink your messaging. The best messages are bold, polarizing, and educational. And, and that example you gave is a good one of that, right? Bold, polarizing, and educational. Yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, this kind of comes back to the principle of how much are you making me think? So if you come with a message that just sounds the same as everyone else, I, you're leaving it up to me to figure out how you're different and the problems that you're solving and how you do it you know, in, in, a, in a unique way. And so the idea behind bold, polarizing messages is that they're very easy for people and, and brains to decipher without spending a lot of time. And the challenge is when you think about the messages that most of us have, unfortunately, the messages that most of us have are valuable, but they are, you know, somewhat generic at first glance. Oh, we help reduce cycle times and improve loyalty and reduce, you know, all these kinds of things. And so to start out with something that's very bold and polarizing that leads into your value proposition is is very compelling. So, for example, at our last startup, which was called Ripple, this is the one that was acquired by Salesforce, we had what we called a social performance management solution. And it was based on this idea that people at work, especially young people, want lots of feedback about how they're doing. Because the more feedback they have, the better they can improve and they can progress in their career. And the tool that most organizations had to deliver that feedback was called an annual performance review that 75% of people in the workforce use the word hate to describe. Mm. And so when we went out with our marketing, we went with something bold and polarizing. Performance reviews don't work. Or people hate performance reviews. Right. Mm -hmm. And so imagine if you you were selling that solution and you reached out to a head of HR or CEO and you said, hey, you know what? I bet you're in the middle of performance review time now and your people hate it. It's because they don't work. We have a better solution. You know, here's what we learned about your organization. You kind of go to the pitch from there. So it, it, mm -hmm. it's a it's kind of a mental it's back to that kind of emotional intelligence. How do you kind of create that feeling in people's heads where they realize, you know, oh, my gosh, this person is right. You know, this message has pierced through. It's simple. I understand it. And now I'm willing to learn more. So 
bold polarizing is great. The reason an educational message works really, really well. So for example, if I were to say, hey, you know, the reason I'm calling today is because we offer a social performance solution. Performance reviews, as they exist in the workplace, they don't work. In fact, and then I go into the education, 75% of people use the word hate to describe it. Did you, you know, what, what is that stat you think at your company? Did you even know that 75% of the people use the word hate to mm. describe? And so when I teach you something, or better yet, when I teach you something about your organization, it invokes a very powerful concept called reciprocity. And so now I think, oh my gosh, this person has given me a message that's really, really simple. It's kind of broken through. This person is right. I mean, that's the other thing. Like polarizing messages, you have the ability to piss people off if the, the message does not resonate with them, which is actually good, you know, not to piss people off, but it's good for people to self-select that, hey, look, this is not the solution for me. And then right. the idea you follow up with something that's educational and they're like, oh, this person has actually added value. I learned something I didn't know before. Okay, I'm, I feel like I need to give this person some time. So that's the idea behind the bold, polarizing and educational approach. I like that. And, and you, you quote one of my favorite authors, Jeffrey Gittimer. It says, uh, don't tell your customer something they don't know about you. Right. When subtext, they don't care about you. <laughs> they care about their own problem. That's what it's all. Tell them something they don't know about them. And Absolutely. that's adding value. And so the next point that you make is add value early and often. OK, so take me into like, say I'm a BDR, I'm an SDR, you know, a couple of years out of college. I'm doing this job. You know, I'm trying to figure out the product and the industry and the people that I'm calling on. How do I add value to them? You know, and, and, and help them to, you know, somebody with 20 years of experience like you. I mean, how can I help you, you know? Yeah, look, there's lots of things you can do. Even So simple things like sending someone an article. So, you know, one of the techniques I, I used to use a lot, and it still works, is, you know, you, you scour Harvard Business or some of the, you know, the kind of the more popular news outlets every day. Find articles that are relevant to your customer's business that are not written by you and may not even mention your company. In fact, it's better if they don't. And then mm. send them to them with this idea of like, hey, Dave, I just want to send you this article. I, I read it and I thought of you. And you're asking nothing in return. In fact, you know, this is actually one of the, the things that I talk about with my BDR team here. You know, we started saying how I am simultaneously the, both a promoter and, and subject of BDR outreach. But I want my BDR team to be the model, the model of the sales team and the BDR team of the future where we don't go out and we don't bother people. You know, instead, we focus on adding value. And so reaching out with, hey, here's an article I just, you know, thinking of you and not actually even asking for anything until, you know, m much later in the outreach process, you know, things like inviting them to events, you know, companies do events all the time. Hey, we're having a, an industry event where we're going to have a thought leader speak or you're going to get to meet some like minded professionals. You know, most CEOs especially are very keen to connect with their peers. You know, part of the problem in the C-suite is that you don't have a lot of peers to talk to. And so inviting them to high value events are typically really, really good. You know, teaching them, as you said, Jeff Gittimer, uh, which I, I love that quote about, you know, teaching them something about they don't know about themselves is great. You know, I've seen even the technique of, you know, let's say I was in a particular, let's say, marketing field um, and I'm, I'm selling some kind of AI solution for, you know, for marketing leaders. I might uh, reach out to a CMO and say, hey, I noticed that you are, you know, delivering a keynote at, uh, at this conference next week. Here's a slide that uh, we often talk about in our presentations or our CEO likes to use that talks about some industry trend. And it, it, again, it doesn't necessarily have to relate to our software, but it's just, it's a gift, right? People are conditioned to respond well when people give us gifts with nothing, no expectation of, uh, of anything in return. So there's lots of different ways that you can add value 
uh, through these gifts, articles, introductions to people who could help. You know, if we're not so focused on the first date about closing the deal, then we can get really, really creative about different ways of adding value. So it's there's a lot of different ways you can add value. You just need to look for them. I love that, man. Another re- I want to come and work for you, man. <laughs> Those guys are so lucky because, you know, it's it's it comes from the top a lot because it's it's again, it's it's like, hey, you know, I, I was a sales leader and I used to make 100 phone calls every day. So if you're thinking of, you know, doing this research and all this stuff, like you're just wasting time. No, it's actually not wasting time because. You know, if you're if you're taking this mindset of I'm going to add value, I'm going to add value, I'm going to educate, you know, I'm going to help people. And eventually that reciprocity is going to happen. It's it's a different paradigm than the old, you know, smile and dial and make 5000 phone calls every day that, you know, it's it's different. And I also think as I was listening to you, there's the famous guy, Gary Vaynerchuk. Right. And, And he 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 was saying like you know, it's 80% value that you're putting out to the marketplace. And, and you're not even talking about your company. You're not even talking about yourself. You're just trying to, you know, put it out there to solve people's problems and help them out. And then the 20% is where you go, oh, by the way, yeah, we take a meeting with me. <laughs> so That's talking right. about my, you know, yeah, right. That's right. That should be the output. At the end of the day, I've added so much value that if you don't, you're a horrible person if you don't take a meeting, <laughs> you know, if you don't take a meeting with me, right? Yes. But also like how, you know, it's also a bit of an audition, right? I think organizationally, we're in this day and age where the experience, uh, I'm sure your listeners have heard this a lot, the experience that a customer has with your company is your product. And it doesn't matter. That's why actually I'm a huge advocate and fan of Disney. I got three little kids, uh, so I'm a Disney dad hardcore. But the idea that the experience is the product is critical. And so when you are a seller, you are essentially providing an audition to your customer about what the experience of working with your organization is going to be like after the fact. Wow, and, if it's, okay. and if it's schlocky and if it's full of low value interactions, then I kind of have this sense of like, that's what it's going to be. like. Now, of course, that can be different if you're, you have a big organization that's very you know, well known. But, you know, in general, it, it's an audition. And so you know, the, the thing that I love, and, and unfortunately, this doesn't happen as much as, as I don't want to say as I'd like, but the best compliment a salesperson can give or you can get from a customer is when the customer wants to hire them, you know, like, Oh, it was the experience of buying this product was so good. I want to hire you to, you know, come work for me. Yeah. I've only had that a handful of times in my career to, with some reps on my team, but uh, the experience is really important. So we, it's, it's yeah. all about getting that experience. Well, dude, I exactly. And it can go the opposite way because I remember I was in an evaluation with two very comparable products and the one salesperson uh, was so assumptive in the closing, and he, you know, he kept pushing me and, and sending contracts. And maybe it's just me, like my style of buying things, but it just felt so assumptive. And then, you know, I I emailed him and was like, "I'm going with the other product." And dude, he was so pissed. I mean, he got so pissed at me, and you know, I I don't know, I, it really turned me off for the whole product. And the company, and it's like, I don't even know any, like a hundred people work at that company. I I don't Mm -hmm. know anything about the, I mean, sure, they're really nice people, but it's like that one interaction with, I had with that guy, you know, gave me a little view into what it would be like if we actually went forward. So yeah, it's, I see that. Well, good. Well, Dave, the 
advice has been amazing. I, I, did we lose you? No, no. I'm still oh, here. good. Okay, cool, cool. Dude, this has been great, man. We clearly, I mean, everyone on the call lives the problem. We went through, got some great advice, you know, for, for what they did. Uh, I don't know if you have anybody out in San Francisco, but a perfect conference that we're having on September 21st, Sales Development Conference. And it'd be a great way if you guys want to add value to any prospects that you have in San Francisco, send them some tickets, get them in there. <laughs> we got a power pack. Uh, speaker list and God, man! I, I next year we got to get you as like as keynote, man, because this is this is gold. This is amazing. So thank you very much for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is this is fun, man. Like I I feel like there's so much that we all need to learn collectively, and the the industry is changing so fast that I almost feel it's our responsibility to have these kind of events. And, and good on you for doing this conference because. The faster we learn, the better we're going to be able to execute. And not only execute, but like meet the changing needs of our customers. Like we want to deliver that amazing experience. So back to maybe it ends how it began. The idea of, of, of science or what I call kind of cerebral selling hmm. is this idea of just learning fast and adapting. Uh, and delivering that amazing customer experience. And this is, this is what it's all about. So thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Don't go the way of the dinosaur. You know, be, <laughs> be more adaptable. Be a small rodent that goes under or a cockroach. But stay alive, man. You got to change. And, and I think that the direction that you're pushing with your team in adding value, being educational, being bold, helping people, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's an upward spiral. You know, because I think now in like the David Scott example, we're, we're in a downward spiral where people are very robotic and they're not adding value. They're getting frustrated. Their uh, executives are cutting their SDR teams because they're not showing any results. And we got to push, push the practice forward, which is what you're doing. So, again, very grateful for being on the show, David, and very much appreciative. Hey, my pleasure. And if I can be helpful to any of your listeners out there, uh, you know, I, I, as you've referenced, I do tend to write uh, a bunch mm -hmm. of content, a podcast, a talk every now and then as well. And I've tried to consolidate. The problem is that all of that content has lived across a variety of, uh, of uh, addresses, but I finally got my stuff together and I've consolidated all my content into one spot onto a website called cerebralselling.com. Uh, there's nothing to be sold there, nothing to be bought. It is strictly informational. So if there's uh, anything that that information and insight uh, could do to add value to your listeners, uh, happy for you guys to check it out. I would highly recommend, I'll, I'll get that um, in the show notes and so people can click right on it, read everything you can. We just touched on a couple of the blog posts, but there's a ton of great information in David's writing. And also, you know, I, I got to give you a plug too with Influitive is doing some amazing things in bringing customers together as advocates. And definitely, if you haven't gone to Influitive.com and read some of the case studies and, and customer testimonials, they're, they've been doing amazing things in this area. So that's one other quick uh, resource for the folks. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. We yeah, it's totally okay that we did not talk about what Influitive does, but mm. you know, at a high level, you know, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today is actually highly relevant to the way we think about our business and and selling in the future. If I can kind of just you know, go off on a, on a quick rant here, sure. sales is all about trust, right? The, the quicker that I trust 
you, your business, your solution, the value you can add, the quicker I'm going to be able to make a decision. But what's really interesting is that in, in today's day and age, this is actually blew my mind. I actually saw this. There was a, uh, an article from Edelman, the Edelman Trust Barometer 2017, where they basically look at all of kind of the various uh, sources of credibility that exist in society from media to business to government to NGOs. And, and what they found is that when it comes to making decisions and trust, if you look at the full spectrum of people that can be trusted, a person like yourself is, is the number one source of credible information. <laughs> and it, it's on the same level as a, as a technical expert or, uh, or even academic far more than anything else. And so I actually believe in the future, you know, no one's going to read the case studies on our websites. No one's going to even take calls from BDRs because there's going to be so much more information and the trust is going to shift from businesses to, to individuals. And so mm-hmm. companies need to be thinking about how do I promote that, the, that authentic voice of my happy customers? Like how do I surround my prospects with, with the trust of that authentic voice? And so that's really what we spend every day thinking about here at Influitive is how do we help customers? And customers have tons of happy happy buyers and happy customers. How do we help them promote those authentic voices to accelerate buyer trust? And that's what we do. That's that's an amazing I mean, that's solving a problem that's like ahead of the curve, you know, and, and it's almost like an evangelical sale right now. <laughs> but I think that, you know, even now, because I mean, we I used it a few years ago and even now you know, people are starting to understand how valuable that is and how you have to really focus on that community almost and, you know, arm them to be able to talk about your product and the experience. So I think you guys are way ahead of the curve and will continue to be successful. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully, fingers crossed. (laughs) Hey, you got a pretty good track record, man. That's why I want to come work for you. (laughs) We'll see. So, path to success is never in a straight line you know it's always sure. uh bobbing weaving so we'll see yeah well this has been great david thank you again and we'll uh, get all those links up on the website at salesdevelopmentpodcast.com and just appreciate you taking the time hey anytime thank you <laughs>